Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbaugh. I love books where you can tell the writer is going for it. You know, just like walking up to bat, pointing at the sky and saying, this book is going to be a home run. The Love Songs of W.E.B. Du Bois is one of those books. It's the debut novel from poet Henri Fanon Jeffers. It's about a young black woman, Ailey, and her coming to terms with what that means in America. A lot has been made about the book's scale, and in this interview, former NPR host Noel King really sells it as an epic. But what's funny is that Jeffers instead calls it a kitchen table epic, which to my mind means less, you know, reading Beowulf or whatever to get through your AP English class, and more sitting down for hours, listening to your grandma or aunt telling you some wild story about your family history. This message comes from The New Yorker. What makes a short story work? Explore the minds of writers like Otessa Moshfag and George Saunders on the New Yorker Fiction Podcast to find out. Listen to the New Yorker Fiction Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This message comes from NPR sponsor Carvana. Selling your car? Visit Carvana and enter your license plate or VIN. Answer a few quick questions and you can get a real offer in seconds. When you finalize your offer, Carvana will pick it up so you never have to leave the comfort of home. Visit Carvana.com or download the app. The Love Songs of W.E.B. Du Bois is epic in its scope. Over the span of almost 800 pages, the writer Honoré Fanon Jeffers traces the story of a family, the town in Georgia where they come from, and their migration outward over generations. The word epic is overused these days, but this book was meant to be an epic, and it is. I asked Jeffers, who is a poet, how she took to writing a work of such length that takes place over centuries. She said a lot went into it, and there was even a point where her characters started talking to her in her dreams. You know, when I would wake up and the words would come to me, it was almost like a very long prose poem. But If people notice that it seems to be more lyrical, those songs seem to be more lyrical, more poetic, it's because when they came to me, they came to me in very long poems. That's extraordinary. Before we get to the characters, I want to ask you to tell us about the town, the town that came to you first, Chickasetta, and give us a sense of how you understand that place and how you think readers will understand that place. Well, Chickasetta is a fictional town. It's sort of funny. A few people told me they actually tried to look it up on the map. I sure did. But, uh, for, <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, yes, but it is set in a real county, Putnam County, Georgia. And my people are from Eatonton, Georgia, in Putnam County. So I can see Chickasetta so clearly in my mind because I went to Eatonton every summer as a little girl. Now, the town comes into play in an enormous way because the characters in this book spring from this town. They come from this town. And the main character is Ailey Pearl Garfield. She starts out as a little girl. We follow her into later life. Her mom's family is from rural Georgia, and so she spends summers back in the town. Tell me about Ailey and how she became the person through whom we largely see this story unfold. Well, I've described this story as a kitchen table epic. You know, when we think of epic in the Western tradition, it's always the heroic feats of white men. Yes. That story has already been told. I didn't want to tell that story. I wanted to tell the story of heroic Black women and dark-skinned Black women because I, I feel like 
although Black female authors write a lot about darker-skinned Black women, we don't really usually see them in the center of their own world. And so when I thought about Ailey, I wanted a cocoa brown, you know, nudging up against chocolate brown girl. I wanted her to be chubby and to have people consider her beautiful. And I wanted her to be smart. I just wanted to create someone that I grew up around. I grew up around girls like that and girls that we all thought were pretty in the Black community. But when we went outside of that community, that's when we were expected to make ourselves small and silent and to consider ourselves not as pretty as white or lighter skinned girls. So I made sure that, you know, my heroine was representative of a line of Black women and that she would honor them. As you write, do you envision a particular person reading the book? And does that affect how you put things down on the page? Yes, it does. And this book is particularly for Black women. I wanted them to see themselves. And I did. I envisioned what would Black women feel like and say to themselves? Would they talk about this book in the ways that, you know, when I was growing up, we talked about Color Purple. We talked about Beloved. And now, of course, you know, Alice Walker and Toni Morrison are geniuses, and um, I don't compare myself to them. But I did want this book to get conversations going. And this brings me to a question that now I find myself very curious about. How many years did you spend writing this? Well, I spent nine years on the draft that was sold by my agent. Wow. And then I spent two more years editing it. The draft that was sold was only 450 pages. This is one of the most American books I have ever read. It's a book about the United States. It's a book about the legacy of slavery in this country. It's a book about intermixing in this country. It's a book about intermarriage in this country. And it's also a book about traumas and loves that sustain over generations. And I wonder, in the 11 years that it took you to put this all together, do you think you changed personally from writing this book? Oh, yeah, definitely I changed. You know, the country changed. When I first started writing this book, President Obama was in the White House. And I thought, I think like a lot of Black people thought, that we had moved past certain things. I remember when I saw him put his hand on that Bible for the first time, I was on the phone with my mama, who was born in 1933. She still remembers a lynching that happened up the road from her. And we cried. We thought, this is it. We had moved forward. And then we had not. And I gained a wisdom about not just this country, but about human nature. And one of the things that I was very interested while I was writing the book is, how did we get to particular places? And what I understand is that if we as human beings of whatever race don't really guard how we evolve, we can move backward. And What's the way in which you changed that you would say you're most happy about or most proud of? I 
I think that I became a softer person. When I first started writing this book, I was very much like Ailey, very judgy. But I learned through my characters that everybody's got flaws and everybody's got pain. And I became a much more compassionate person. Honoré Fanon Jeffers, her new novel is called The Love Songs of W.E.B. Du Bois. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. I appreciate you. I'm Rachel Martin. After hosting Morning Edition for years, I know that the news can wear you down. So we made a new podcast called Wild Card, where a special deck of cards and a whole bunch of fascinating guests help us sort out what makes life meaningful. It's part game show, part existential deep dive, and it is seriously fun. Join me on Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. On this week's episode of Wildcard, comedian Bowen Yang says you don't have to feel bad for falling short on mindfulness. I get in my own way by, like, over-privileging the present. That's so interesting because everyone wants to be in the present. I feel like being present is overrated. I'm Rachel Martin. Join us for NPR's Wildcard podcast. The game where cards control the conversation. Wait, wait, don't tell me isn't just jokes about the week's news. It's also life hacks. For example, here's actor Karen Allen revealing how she got her starring role in Raiders of the Lost Ark. They said, how well can you spit? And I just found it coming out of my mouth. I said, oh, I can hawk them with the best. (laughs) I'm Peter Sagal. If you want to increase your self-confidence, then listen to the Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me podcast from NPR.